This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We focus on Hazel McCallion's extraordinary career in part two of the interview celebrating her 100th birthday and harnessing the immune system to fight cancer. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Zoomers are taking over online shopping. Consumers 65 and up are the fastest-growing group of online shoppers. New data shows the demographic spent almost 50% more online in 2020 than the previous year, and the frequency also jumped significantly by 40%. On average, this age group spent about $1,600 both online and in-store from January through October, and the market research group behind the study says this new buying trend is likely to stick even after the pandemic ends. But to launch Boom Radio is, uh, is well, it's, it's, one, it's one of the highlights of my career, no, no question about that. This week marked the launch of the UK's first radio station for baby boomers, 20 years behind Canada's own Zoomer Radio, founded by Moses Nimer. The new Boom Radio station will cater to those in their 50s, 60s and 70s with music from across the decades. It hopes to attract half a million listeners in the first two to three years. The co-founder says that boomers, a loyal radio audience, feel increasingly ignored and disenfranchised by the current stations and programming available to them. No, I do feel the improvement, you know, week on week. It's an excellent tool and I would definitely recommend it being rolled out to the rest of the country, 100%. Opera singers are helping COVID patients learn to breathe again. A six-week program by the English National Opera and a London hospital are offering professional voice lessons online to help with recovery. The idea developed when so-called long haulers started emerging, people who have recovered from the acute phase of the disease but still suffer effects including chest pain, fatigue, brain fog, and breathlessness. And since opera is rooted in breath, it was a perfect marriage. It's a win-win as opera singers have been unable to perform as concerts and theater venues remain closed. The estranged wife of the late broadcasting legend Larry King is planning to fight his last will in court. According to reports, the handwritten amended will is dated October 17, 2019, two months after Larry filed for divorce from Sean, his seventh wife, after 22 years of marriage. This will requests that his estate be split equally among his children. Bagpipe Serenade was part of the festivities for Niagara Falls veteran Archie Dickey, who turned 100 this week. 
Archie and his 98-year-old wife, Ruth, both still live at home and have been happily married for 78 years. A birthday drive-by organized by their family included a police escort, and cars took turns driving by to drop off gifts, handmade signs, and a chocolate birthday cake. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It started with volunteering in her local community. That's what propelled Hazel McCallion into an extraordinary career in politics at a time when women politicians were a rarity. Here's part two of my interview marking her 100th birthday. I got involved with the Streetsville and District Chamber of Commerce. And the mayor of Streetsville invited me to join the Streetsville Planning Board in 1965. And so I did. I became chairman of the board. And then I was encouraged to run for office, which was a quite an undertaking because there were no women on the Streetsville Council. What was it like running at a time when women were not encouraged to be in politics? Who who mentored you in that way? And you know, when I ran for mayor of Streetsville, the women voted or worked hard against me because they couldn't understand how a woman wanted to get involved in a man's world because all the members of council were men. It's interesting the difference, and I use this. In 1978, when I ran for mayor of Mississauga, it was the women that made a major contribution to getting me elected mayor. So there's 1968 to 1978, the difference. And is it just the times, you think, or what? I think they noticed that when I was councillor on the city council of the work I did, and the work I did in the community, I think they, the women recognized it. As I say, many women worked for me when their husbands were working against me. <laughs> A few months after you were elected mayor of Mississauga, we had that big, horrible train derailment. Yep. When that uh, situation occurred at 2 minutes to 11, November the 10th, 1979, when the police told the people they had to leave their homes, they did it. We were able to evacuate 230,000 people. The people really listened. I wish today more people would listen to the pandemic problem that we have. But the people of Mississauga uh, listened and they left their homes. As a result, it became a Mississauga miracle because nobody lost their lives, even though chlorine was a very deadly item to be in the, in the community. What was it like being plunged into that? It was a challenge, but, you know, I had good support from so many people and supported the entire community. People left their homes that night in their night clothes without their uh, medications, et cetera. And we were able to get drugstores opened up to provide them with their medication. It was so well managed. And secondly, we communicated. Communication was a lot of the success of the Mississauga derailment. We kept the people well informed. We told them how serious it was, but we didn't exaggerate. 
and we didn't. And in fact, we monitored the press to make sure that the information got out to the people correctly. You say it was well-managed, but you managed it well. Well, no. I and a large group of people, the fire chief, the police chief, the staff of the city, uh, you know, it was a team approach. I wish the Maple Leafs would adopt the same approach. Team approach. It also really put you on the map politically. Well, I think it it did, yes, because uh, we had people come from all over the world to find out how we were able to manage and evacuate 250,000 people. It, it really put us on the world map. You mentioned the success of your communications during the derailment, and we have briefings up the wazoo from all levels of government, but do you think that they are communicating clearly enough? No. I am very disappointed that I have never, and I'm sure you have never, received a printed document in your home telling you what to do. I covered a number of your elections. Maybe coronations would be a a better word. And, And I have to say it was always a really lousy assignment. It would be over two minutes after the polls closed, and that would be that. No, no nonsense. How did you, people really loved you. How did that? Well, you know, you you have to uh, appreciate people. I love to be with people. And you have to make a contribution. A, A couple of famous things about you. So you would never accept campaign donations. You told people... Just give the money to charity. Well, no. Uh, In the first uh, campaign as mayor of Mississauga, I accepted donations. But after I was reelected about three or four times, I said, don't make donations. Here I am. Judge me on what I've been able to accomplish. Send your contribution to charity. You know, you were the longest serving mayor In Ontario, I think that you have been surpassed by a guy named Krantz in Milton. Well, Krantz has been mayor of Milton, the town of Milton. I was the longest serving mayor of a city in Uh, Canada. But I was also three years mayor of Streetsville. So I served for 39 years as a mayor. He's still in office, so he could exceed all those years. But I'm very proud of what I've been able to accomplish. Hazel, some final thoughts? I don't think, I I don't feel a (laughs) hundred. That's important. What does it feel like? Well, I can still uh, shovel my uh, walkway to the house. And I go out in the yard and exercise every day. I do my own gardening. I do my own housework. Uh, vacuuming, etc. You got to stay active. You can't sit around doing nothing. Hazel McCallion, thank you so much. Just great to be with Zoomer. That was political powerhouse Hazel McCallion. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, the latest advances in cancer treatment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. 
visit carp.ca. Surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation were the primary treatments for cancer patients. Now the biggest advances are in immunotherapy, which harnesses the patient's own immune system. It's becoming a go-to treatment for some metastatic cancers and improving survival rates for these patients. Who can benefit the most? I talked with medical oncologist Dr. Marcus Butler, director of the Princess Margaret Immune Monitoring Lab. Immunotherapy is, is obviously the, the biggest advance in cancer treatment in, in recent memory. And it seems to work best so far in skin cancer and in lung cancer. Why is that? These are cancers that are caused by some sort of external insult. Melanoma uh, is con- caused by uh, ultraviolet radiation that results in mutations that then translates into proteins that are recognized as foreign by the immune system. Lung cancer is the same uh, situation, but the insult is the environment such as cigarette smoking, which results in mutations that are recognized by the immune system. What immunotherapy does is that it, uh, or the, the current immunotherapy that is showing such excitement, the, the class of drugs called immune checkpoint inhibitors, is that they relieve the breaks on the immune system, they prevent the cancer from hiding from the immune system so that those mutations are easily recognized by the immune system and you see a clinical response. There are other types of immune therapies that have resulted in uh, approvals, uh, such as the CAR T-cell therapies for leukemias and some lymphomas. In that case, we engineer a cell so that it can recognize the uh, patient's uh, tumor. Uh, We start with the patient's normal immune cells. We engineer those cells, and then they're infused as a treatment. I know, for instance, that uh, immunotherapy was tried for, say, pancreatic cancer. Uh, Not very good results. Do you know why? In pancreatic cancer, for instance, uh, while we don't completely understand uh, all of the mechanisms, it does appear that the that the tumor microenvironment is hostile to an effective immune response. There are Im- there are actually immune cells within the pancreas, uh, the pancreatic cancer, which actively inhibit the activity of the killer T cells that can target the tumor. So we need to not only Uh, help the uh, immune response recognize a cancer, but we also have to fight against the suppressive elements of the immune system that prevent an effective immune response. I know with melanoma, for instance, uh, it went from being a death sentence to being a a disease that most people survive five years. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about the impact on survival? That is true. Um, We have a lot of patients who in the past, we thought that, oh, this poor person is going to be a goner, but now they're living with us 10 years later and and doing well. It it has changed the way our clinics work. Uh, We have We still need to follow these patients very closely because there's a chance of relapse. So our clinics are much bigger than they used to be because of success (laughs) that when patients are living longer. It's also, I'll be honest, it's, it is a challenge for patients where uh, the approaches don't work. 
because uh, patients aren't necessarily expecting that it won't work for them, but that still is a problem for, for many patients. And so uh, while there is incredible hope, we still have work to do. And, and uh, you know, we're, I feel quite fortunate to be uh, working in this field and being able to be part of the solution for our patients. Do you know why it works in some patients and not in others who seemingly have the same disease? Yeah, so there are, again, even in melanoma, some patients that don't have a highly mutated tumor that don't express uh, elements that can be recognized by the cancer. Um, we are actively trying to understand uh, what is different between uh, patients who respond and patients who don't so that we can identify patients who, for whom the treatment won't be effective and uh, come up with new treatments for those patients. Uh, more importantly, uh, we have, uh, for first-line treatment, we have options of combination immunotherapy versus single-agent immunotherapy. Single-agent monotherapy is actually effective for, uh, for the majority of patients that we treat that will respond to immunotherapy, but we can't figure out who could be who could do well with just single agent and who needs combination? Therefore, uh, we are often treating patients with combination who may not need it. And unfortunately, combination immunotherapy that we use in melanoma has a much higher side effect rate. So a lot of the work that we're doing in, the, um, in our clinics uh, includes managing side effects from, from treatment. So we are Really, the science is trying to identify the right patients to treat with the right treatment, uh, right strategies, so that we can uh, reduce side effects and improve overall outcomes. Anything else you'd like to leave us with? Actually, yes. Please, pay attention to the sun. You don't want to have melanoma because even if, you, uh, even if we have treatments that are effective, that still means coming into the hospital and being on treatment for a long period. So be sun safe, take care of your skin. And uh, that's the, an important uh, thing to, for everyone to remember. And don't smoke. And don't smoke. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Marcus Butler, thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Marcus Butler of the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.